Well, as Brandon said this morning, we're, we're beginning our Easter series, and we always take a few weeks leading up to Easter to try to prepare our hearts for that time of celebration. And this year, the series is called The Crown, The Cross, and The Tomb. And as we focus on the most important season in our Christian calendar, we're going to be exploring the crown, which represents Christ's suffering. We're going to be talking about the cross, which reminds us of his sacrifice. And then we're going to talk about the tomb, which boldly declares Christ's victory. Can you say amen? So for this series, we're going to focus on the, the final week and really, really just the, the last few days of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. And often this is called Passion Week. And uh, I remember uh, many years ago seeing the movie, The Passion of the Christ. How many saw that movie, The Passion of the Christ? And I remember seeing that movie. It was so powerful. But I couldn't wrap my mind. It was like they used this, this word, The Passion of the Christ. And as I watched the movie... Uh, it, it was it was so brutal and it was so graphic. I, I was I was struggling. Like, why did that was a strange use of words? I thought the passion of the Christ. But then later I learned that the Latin word that we translate as passion comes from a word that means suffering, suffering. And so then the title of that movie, if you think about it, the suffering of Christ, that makes perfect sense. You see, as much as we enjoy celebrating the resurrection, and we do, we, we must also understand that the road to Easter Sunday first passes through a great place of suffering. Jesus does walk out of the tomb in triumph and victory, but first he goes through the suffering of the crown and then the sacrifice of the cross. So let's jump into scripture this morning. Got quite a bit of scripture to read, but it's important that we take ourselves to this story. We're going to go to John 18, and verse 33 is where we will begin. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is uh, really an important question. Everyone who ever met Jesus, everyone who ever will meet Jesus, tends to, to kind of ask the same question like, who are you? Anyone who has ever encountered Jesus knows that he is just different than anyone that they've ever met. So they end up saying, who, who is this guy? And Pilate specifically says, hey, are you the king of the Jews? And verse 34, Jesus answered him and said, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? And then Pilate answered and said, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore answered and said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus says, You say rightly that I am a king. What a bold declaration. Politi uh, uh, Pilate is a politician and he's got some political power. And Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, Yes, Pilate, I'm a king, but not of this world. And then he continues and he says, for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth hears my what? Voice. 
voice. We just did a whole series on the voice of God. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth, they hear my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? That sounds like a question that our world is asking today. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So Pilate has been questioning Jesus. You know, he's, he's interrogating him and he's trying to find out what is so awful about this guy that they want him dead and he can't find any fault in Jesus. And he goes out to the Jews and he says, hey, I've, I've questioned him. I've examined him, but he, he seems to be innocent to me. And then verse 39, he said, but you, you do have a custom. And here's the custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you this guy, the king of the Jews? And verse 40, then they all cried again saying, no, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. If you study out Barabbas, they say he tried to lead uh, an insurrection, a rebellion, and that maybe people even died in that. So Barabbas is a guilty man. I want you to imagine this scene for a moment. Jesus Christ has lived a perfect, sinless life. He has spent his years preaching and teaching and healing and setting people free. But yet, here's this crowd chanting, crucify him, crucify him. For what? Like, what is his crime? There is none. The only disparaging thing they can say about Jesus is is that supposedly he is the king of the Jews. John 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. It's almost incomprehensible that they would take this innocent man who's done nothing but good and beat him and mock him. The Roman soldiers, they fashion a crown of thorns and they force it down over his head. And as they force this crown of thorns down over his head, the flesh rips from his skull and the blood begins to flow. They also put a robe on him and put a scepter in his hand to like say, you know, here's your king. They're doing this to torture him and mock him. But little did they know that through his suffering, Jesus Christ was about to change the world and everything in it. Church, I know that we celebrate Easter and we should. It's worthy of celebration. But before we celebrate, I think we have to pause And reflect on the suffering that Jesus endured for us. The crown is a sign or a symbol of that suffering. And to truly understand it, we have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the fall of man. You see, it was in the opening pages of the Bible that we find that first family, Adam and Eve. And they're there and they're enjoying paradise. They're enjoying the fellowship of God himself. However, the serpent comes and he deceives Eve and Adam failed in his leadership role. And the next thing you know, what we would call original sin 
opens the door to all sin and God begins to inform Adam and Eve of the consequences of their decision to rebel against him. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, we see what he said to them. God said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Watch this now. Verse 18. Both thorns, everyone say thorns. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring uh, forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And verse 19, in the sweat of your brow of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. As God pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve, he uses two words, thorns and sweat. These two words paint a picture of the suffering that would come into this world because of sin. You know, as you and I look around this planet, there's a, there's a lot of things that we can see on this planet that bring us great joy. We just finished up our premarital uh, counseling class, and, you know, we've got, I don't know, six or seven couples who are going to be standing here and making their vows to one another. And when you see a happy couple do that, it just, it just warms your heart. Maybe you see a a child playing in their yard as soon as the snow melts. <laughs> and just, you know, playing with a little flower or something. And just the innocence and the simplicity of this child just being entertained by a flower or some grass or whatever. You just see them. It just, it brings you great joy. This morning, I was blessed because as I looked around the room, I saw hundreds of men and women lifting holy hands and worshiping God. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful sight. When we see things like a sunrise or a sunset or the cry of a newborn baby or a, 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 a fresh plate of chicken wings, there are just things. <laughs> Come on, somebody. There are just things that bless you, right? There are just things that just, they just, uh, just go, wow, God, you're good. There are a lot of beautiful things in this life and on this planet. But we don't have to look very far. Just look over a little bit. And we'll also see some things that break our hearts. And when we see brokenness and pain and injustice and disease and poverty, there is something on the inside of us that says, this life cannot be all there is. There is something on the inside of us that makes us long for another kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. When we look at the suffering of this life, there's something in us that makes us long for a king and a kingdom not of this world. Can you say amen? But here's the deal, church. Our invitation to this new kingdom is only made possible through the suffering of Christ. Every single thing that Jesus Christ did for you and me, he did through suffering. Everything. And so when he's announcing his kingdom to Pilate, he's not doing it in a way that we might expect. In a worldly kingdom, in a worldly system, a king may inaugurate his kingdom by declaring war. 
A display of great power that would make his enemies stand still and take notice. But not King Jesus. He doesn't do that. When Jesus announces his kingdom, he says, I'm not here to fight. I'm actually here to suffer. Jesus. That makes no sense. It makes no sense to us. But it makes perfect sense in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something else that makes no sense. In an earthly kingdom, an earthly king would set himself up in a palace. He would separate himself with walls and fences. He would protect his throne at all costs and he would rule over his subjects. That's what an earthly king would do. But our king, our king is altogether different. Instead of protecting his throne, our king actually left his throne. Instead of being born in a palace, our king was actually born in a barn. Instead of living behind walls, Scripture says at times he didn't even have walls. He had nowhere to even lay his head. And instead of ruling over his subjects, he didn't even call them subjects. But instead he came to live among his people and he actually called us friends. Church, our king is an awesome king and with an awesome kingdom. He didn't set himself up here to be separated from those he would save. He actually came down to seek and save the lost. You see, his kingdom is a kingdom that requires suffering before conquest. His kingdom requires suffering before conquest. He is a king that suffers with us and for us. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. That's us. We're his brethren. He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted. Do you know when you're talking to someone it's It's one thing to hear somebody's story of pain or suffering and be moved with compassion as you hear about their pain. That's important to be a good listener and listen to someone's story. But I'm telling you, it's an entirely different thing to be able to hear their story and then say, me too. I've I've walked through that. I've, I've experienced that. I mean... Who better to comfort someone who's lost a child than someone who's walked through that same pain? Who better to understand someone that struggles with addiction than someone who's struggled with that same addiction? Who better to understand the struggles of betrayal than someone who has also been betrayed? When we walk through similar suffering, it binds us together in a way that nothing else can. And in order for Jesus Christ to be our great high priest, our advocate with the Father, he had to come to this earth and feel what we feel and experience what we experience. Church, he had every right to stay where he was. He had every right to only know glory. But by his choice, he put on human flesh to suffer with us and for us. If you're going through a difficult time in your life right now, I can confidently say that God knows what you are feeling. 
And I told you last week that be careful who you listen to and what TV preachers you follow and what YouTube preachers you follow and what Facebook preachers that you follow because there are many out there preaching a gospel that says if you come to Jesus that your life will never know suffering. Friends, that's a false gospel. It's not in the Bible. It's not in there. That's called the prosperity gospel that says, if you come to Jesus, your life will always be roses. That's not true, and we can look at our lives, and we can know it's not true. It preaches good, and it makes people give big offerings, but it ain't true. Suffering is a part of this life, but why I'm blessed today is because I've got this comfort that my Savior willingly put on flesh to come and walk the same ground that we walk, to feel what we feel so we can can have this uh, fellowship of sufferings with him we listen we suffer a lot of times by by our sin he suffered by choice he willingly did that for us church our God did not insulate himself but rather clothed himself with suffering for our sake is anybody thankful for a God like that this morning so good so good there's no other god like that you can study all the world's major religions there's no other gods like that only jesus john 19 verse 14 now it was the preparation day of the passover about the sixth hour and he said to the jews behold your king here he is but they cried out away with him away with him crucify him pilate said to them shall i crucify your king The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. They took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross, he's got the cross beam on his back at this time, went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. The two others with him, one on either side, two thieves on either side of Jesus, Jesus in the center. Verse 19, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The Roman tradition of the day was, if you had been sentenced to death by crucifixion, they would take a placard and they would write your crime on the placard, on a sign. And as you walked to the place that you were going to be crucified, you would be wearing this sign around your neck. And then when they nailed you to that cross, they would take that sign and they would nail it to the cross. So as people were passing by and they're looking at you dying, basically, they can see that you are worthy of death because they can say, oh, that guy there, he was a murderer or he was a rapist or or he led a rebellion, whatever the heinous crime was in their eyes, that there would there would be your crime right there for everyone to see. Well, Jesus had no crime. So all Pilate could do was was just right. King of the Jews. There there Jesus hung totally innocent. You know, none of us like to suffer. And in most cases, we don't want to see anyone else suffer. I said most cases. (laughs) Just keeping it real. Uh, But when we see someone totally innocent suffer, it just hits us in a different place. Like, if we hear of a child being diagnosed with cancer, something within us just wants to shout, No! No! 
No. They're, they're too young. They're too innocent. It just makes us feel the injustice of their suffering in a deeper way. Now listen, a, a, a serious diagnosis, that, that's awful at any, any age. But when it's a child, it just impacts us differently. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. He's totally innocent. Not only is he innocent, he is perfect. He's literally the only person ever born that has never done anything wrong. Yet his entire purpose is to suffer for us. There were two thieves that would be crucified either side of him, but none of them are forced to wear a crown of thorns. How's that right? They're guilty. They're not tortured that way. Pilate says, hey, we've got a tradition here in which I release a prisoner. On one hand, I've got this guilty guy named Barabbas, a known criminal. I could release him. Or on the other hand, I've got Jesus in whom I can find no fault. I'm going to release one of them. Which one do you want? And the crowd yells, crucify Jesus, the innocent, and release Barabbas, the guilty. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but that irks me. (laughs) Right? Why does the innocent have to die for the guilty? But before I can get too mad at Pilate or the Jewish leaders or Barabbas, I have to realize, wait a minute. I'm Barabbas. I'm the guilty one. And not only am I Barabbas, the guilty one, I'm also Judas who betrayed him. And I'm also Peter who denied him. And I'm also Pilate the coward who won't defend him. And I'm also Adam who disobeyed him. Church, we are the reason that our king with all the power in the world at his disposal, left his throne in glory not to be celebrated by man, but instead to suffer by the hands of man that he might reverse the curse of Adam and gift to us his gift of righteousness. Can someone thank him this morning for what he did for us? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Listen, we've looked at Pilate questioning Jesus. We've looked at him being mocked and tortured, ridiculed with a robe and a scepter and a crown of thorns. But here's what Pilate didn't know. Here's what the Jewish leaders didn't know. Here's what the Roman soldiers didn't know. Is that the man that they were scoffing at, the man they were mocking, the man they had beaten, the man that they were ridiculing, he actually is a king. just not of this world. Revelation 19 is written by the Apostle John. John was one of the best friends of Jesus. And in this passage, God has given him a vision of the future. It's his future and it's our future. Revelation 19 and verse 11. I want you to see how the Apostle John, he's trying to use words Okay, to explain something supernatural. Trying to use words to explain something that words can't really describe. You ever try to do that? <laughs> like you, you just, 
and then finally you just, you're trying to tell someone about something and then finally you just said, well, you just had to be there. Right? You just had, just had to experience it. It's kind of what John is. He's trying to use natural words to describe something supernatural. And these are the words he chose. Verse 11, he said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, he's seeing it, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And he starts to try to describe his eyes. He says, his eyes, I don't, I don't know how else to describe it, but his eyes were like a flame of fire. <laughs> and on his head were many crowns. <laughs> John doesn't say anything about a crown of thorns. But he says this vision that he sees, the guy on this horse, he's got many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a robe. Well, remember, Pilate put a robe on him, didn't he? He was clothed with a robe, but this robe is a little different. This robe is dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh written, King of kings and Lord of lords oh. when Pilate didn't know what to write above his cross he just wrote king of the Jews because he didn't know what else to write but God says you're almost right Pilate but he's not just the king of the Jews he is king of kings and he is lord of lords and the first time he came to this planet, he introduced his kingdom through suffering because that was the plan of God. But the next time that he comes, he will come in great power and glory, not to suffer, but to rule in righteousness. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, our Father. Come on, praise him today. Praise Him today. That's what we celebrate during this time of year. There are three things I want you to feel this morning. Number one, gratitude. We should be so grateful that our God would by choice wrap Himself in human flesh to live the life that we live that he would suffer with us and suffer for us. Anyone thankful this morning? Are you thankful for it? Oh. Number two, we ought to feel, we ought to feel comforted. We should be comforted by the truth that our God knows what it's like to be human. 
He literally feels our pain. I remember one time pouring my heart out to God because someone had betrayed me. And I'm just, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And I'm just talking to the Lord. And I'm talking to God about, listen, this is how stupid I am. I'm talking to God about betrayal. Like, like, like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. And I just feel, you know, just hear the Lord, you know, what I'm talking. We did a whole series on the voice. What an audible voice or anything like that. But God just impressed on me. Like, hey, do you remember Judas? I felt so stupid, (laughs) but I felt so comforted because in that moment, there was a fellowship of suffering. Scripture talks about that, the fellowship of suffering. And then finally, number three, hope, hope, hope. We should walk out of here this morning as people filled with hope, knowing that there is a king with a kingdom that is not of this world, and that kingdom is our future. Listen, if you're going through a difficult time in your life, let me give you one more scripture, Romans 8 and verse 18. Paul said this, for I consider, one translation says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hope, friends. Hope of bodies that never get sick. Hope of a place where there's no injustice. Hope of a place that we'll be reunited with our friends and family and people who've gone on before us. Hope of a place where we'll see those eyes like fire. We'll see those white horses. We'll see the king with many crowns and we will fall and worship him. Jesus says, I'm a king, but not of this world. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're going through a time of suffering in your life, I hope you're comforted today that Jesus would say, me too. He knows exactly what it feels like to hurt. He knows exactly what it feels like to experience extreme pain in his body. He knows exactly what it feels like to have a broken heart. He knows what it's like to go through loss, betrayal. He, every, every way that we have suffered. He suffered. Find comfort in that truth today. There's a lot of people in this room today that I don't know. We started off with a question. Pilate says, hey, who are you, Jesus? And I don't know if you've ever answered that question for yourself. We're going to take one more minute here. If you're with us today and you've never come to that revelation of who Jesus is and what he means to you personally, but maybe today he's drawing your heart and he's making himself real to you and you're, you're understanding maybe for the first time that Jesus Christ is the living God who died for my sin and died for your sin, the sin that, that, that Adam kicked that door wide open to. Jesus came to, to reverse that curse of sin and set us free from its power. If you've never reached out to him, would you do that today? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. 
Just tell him you want to put your faith in him. Tell him that you want to know him, that you want to love him, that you want to serve him. Is there anyone today that just feels like, hey, I need to give my life to God? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you're sitting? If God's just talking to you today, and he's just drawing you into his kingdom, and you're saying, yeah, I, I, just, I just need to, I need to make things right between me and God today. Here's all we want to do. We want to invite you. I'm going to be at the welcome counter after service. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your story. I want to know what God is doing in your life. He's a good God who's still saving people and still making himself real to people and still calling people out of darkness into light. He's the God who suffered so we can join his family. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We love you. We bless you today.